to come in here. I got to keep talking. Now, Mark, we go good. Okay, we're good. I think we're going to get started here in a little bit for this next session. Um, I don't know about all of you guys, but I'm just, uh, I'm so excited. And uh, all, I can, all I can say is, wow. Amen to that? Amen. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. All right, I'm going to have a short prayer and uh, we're going to get going. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this time. Once again, we just invite uh, you, Father, to just fill this room with your Holy Spirit, that you would just guide and lead and direct this session. Once again, that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be glorified. We thank you for this time that you've given us, and we just pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, let's, let's stand. Is my, is my mic on? Test, test. There we go. Let's stand. <clears throat> we want to sing I See Grace together.
reaching for me. Precious blood washes and sanctifies, healing flows, setting me free. I see grace sealed by your sacrifice. I see love reaching for me. Precious blood washes and sanctifies, healing flows, setting me free. I see grace. I see grace. I see grace. I see Three years ago, John and uh, Karen for the Heart team came to our hometown, and we had John speak on Sunday morning and uh, before the uh, session started that night. And I was sitting there listening to John and his soft-spokenness, and he was talking about um, one of his sessions, and he was talking about, uh, turn to the gentleman, and he said, turn to your wife and just have her show you the heart of a young girl that was damaged and hurt. And then he said, I want you, when he turned to the girl, and he said, I want you to pray and have Jesus draw a picture of your heart and to show you a picture of your heart. Well, I was sitting there and I turned to my wife and I said, what planet is this dude from? Uh, he, <laughs> Jesus is just gonna draw a picture of the heart and visually, she's going to see that. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be a long session. <laughs> so anyway, we go to, to the session that night on Sunday night. And uh, John spoke, and we went through the book and everything. And so I, we take it home. And the next morning, my wife and I were doing our study. And she gets up every morning at 5.30. And she goes out and has her Bible study. Well, I was in my room, and I was doing the, the workbook and the sheets. And I was filling out all the words of an emotional heart, you know, the damaged heart. And I, I prayed, I said, Jesus, show me the heart of an eight-year-old boy who was damaged and hurt. And he did. And I ran out of the room, I opened the door, well, I'm crying, and I told my wife, I said, I just saw the picture of my heart. And I look, and she's sitting there, and she's crying. And Jesus had revealed to her as well the picture of her heart. Well, the picture of my heart was huge garbage bags, not with little ties on them, but huge ropes with big knots, with all the trash and the garbage that had accumulated in my life for many years. And as I started trying to figure out where all that had come from, I, start, I went back to my past. And um, I came from a family of nine kids. My dad was married three times and all three wives died. And the easiest thing for my dad to do was to release us 
to somebody else to take care of us. It was hard for him. So we were all separated. And uh, as an eight-year-old boy, I was uh, sent to a family member on a little farm. And they had just started, and they were still, they were plowing with mules. We lived in a little 400-square-foot house, no electricity, no running water, and with three other kids. So five kids shared one little bedroom. And um, I didn't realize the pressure this put on that family. But uh, he taught us to work that farm. And I remember one day, uh, he always taught us, never, when you're plowing, don't ever put the reins around your neck. And for some reason one day, as a nine-year-old kid, I forgot and I put the reins around my neck. And so I'm plowing down through there and I guess a bee stung the mule or whatever. And that thing took off and just drug me through the field, wrapped me up in the reins and the plow and everything and just tore me up. And so I'm laying there and I'm expecting somebody to come and just nurture me and grab me and hug me and that didn't happen. He pulled me out from under the plow and started to uh, beat me with the hoe handle. And I'm like, what is this about? And so my brother was there with me. Well, he grabbed a hoe and, and hit him, literally knocked him out. And he said, I'm out of here. And last time I saw my brother for about five years, he was taken across the field. And boy, things just really started to change. And short time later, another family member showed up and said, look, we've heard of some of the situations we're taking you out of here. So I left and went with a, another family member, went off to Florida, which seemed like a long way away when you're raised in the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina. So anyway, I go down and um, things were going pretty good. Things had changed. Life was a lot different for me. And um, I walked in one day in a bad situation in the family home there and uh, some immoral stuff going on. And I walked in. So that family member came and they said, look, we can't have you here anymore. You got to go. So I left there. Went to another family member and I was there for a while. And this guy was really good to me. He was as nice to me as anybody had ever been. And... Um, just loved on me as a little boy, taught me things that a man should really teach a little boy. And one day he comes in and he goes, uh, you can't stay here anymore. I'm like, what? And he goes, you just can't stay here anymore. I don't want you anymore. So I left there. And uh, two men came, picked me up, and they take me back to my dad. And I just couldn't understand, what have I done? Come to find out, he was dying of cancer and he couldn't share that with me. The easiest thing for him to do was just let me go. So I went back to my dad and uh, dad had just kind of taken on the lifestyle of, of himself. And he was indulging in women and stuff and a uh, 14-year-old kid really wasn't what he needed at the time. So I learned how to survive on the street. And I also learned that um, Love didn't come real easy. And I remember uh, one Christmas, Dad wasn't there, I hadn't seen him in about three days, and Christmas came. And I remember just wandering around the little town, and I would watch people as they would come to the homes and they'd start in the home. And I'd stand there and go, what is that like? What's it like to have a family? Somebody that really loves you, somebody to get together for the holidays. Man, what would that be like? So 
I started getting into drugs and alcohol and trying to numb that pain, trying to just find a solution for my own problems. Had nobody to guide me or to counsel me, nobody to tell me where to be or what to do. And so I got into some trouble situations. And again, the only yearning I ever had was for a family. And a uh, few years went by and I met my wife and um, she came out of a bad situation. Her mother died when she was 15. And so she had uh, gotten into some bad situations, also drugs and alcohol. So here we come together and we're trying to pull a marriage together. And neither one of us had ever really been loved or knew how to love. So the situations wasn't good. And I remember she would try to be affectionate with me. And um, one of the things she would do, she, she'd like to caress my face. And I remember one night we were sitting there and she put her hand up to caress my face and I pulled away and said, don't put your hand in my face. She's like, what? And I said, don't put your hand in my face. She said, what's this all about? And I said, just don't do it. So as time went along, she uh, would do that again. And I remember another time I said, don't you ever put your hand in my face. And she said, I don't understand. And it was hard for me to tell her what had been going on with me, but when, uh, during the interim time there of going from family to family, I ended up in a children's home. And um, the counselors there were teenage boys, older teenage boys, and I was there at age nine. And I remember awakening one night and um, had a hand over my mouth. And the guy said, if you say anything, I'll kill you. And um, that's when the abuse started. So the guys would come in at night, pin me to the bed, and they'd take advantage. So to escape that, I learned if I stayed in trouble, they would lock me in my room. And nobody had the key but the house parents. So I learned to fight and I learned to stay in a lot of trouble. And that became my forte, I guess. I stayed in a lot of trouble. But that was my protection. I closed up, shut everything out, and wouldn't let anybody in. So for years, that's what our marriage was like with my wife. Anytime she went to touch me, I'd pull away. Like, you know, don't go there. And I couldn't ever open the door to my heart. Just like in that children's home, I took the key, locked that door, and I held on to it. And I held on to it very tight for years. And then John and these guys come along with the counseling, and I tell you, it just opened up a lot of freedom for me. Um, I had not shared with anybody for 38 years that I'd been abused. Um, something men don't talk about. John shared about that a minute ago. There's not books out there for men who have been abused. You don't think of that. You don't think of a man of being abused. And uh, so I locked up. My wife couldn't ever get in there. Nobody could get in. And what I hid behind was humor. I loved humor. So if I can make you laugh, you love me and you like me. So that's where I hid. And for many years, that's what I did. Everything was funny. Everything was a joke to me. And that way I didn't have to get down to the core issues of what was going on inside my heart. I had friends one time, they called me up and said, hey, we're having a party and we want you to come because um, you're the life of the party. Well, that went on a lot. And I told my wife, I said, you know, for once, 
I'd love to be invited somewhere just for me. I don't want to be the life of the party. And she said, but you've created that. You created that with all these people. So after I got through with John's conference, I had the Lord just take those bags and show me what I've been dealing with. And I did. I dealt with the rejection. I dealt with physical abuse. And I dealt with the sexual abuse. And I said, Lord, just, just take that. Take those bags, empty them, and he did. He emptied all those bags. And today I stand before you saying, I know you all have heard John talk about the honeymoon, I'm sure. And today I can stand before you and tell you, well, she's not here, so, but um, we have a honeymoon that's been going on for two years now that's unbelievable. And um, don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Goonies, but Chunks, remember Chunks? They, they get kidnapped, and uh, these robbers are holding Chunks. They got him tied up, and they said, all right, kid, spill your guts. Well, he did. He was like, well, when I was eight years old, I pushed my sister down the steps. That's the way I am today. My wife just let me spill my guts, and I poured out to her all the hurt, all the abandonment, all the abuse that had ever happened to a young boy. And the love that we have now and our time of sharing is unbelievable. So I just want to encourage you, if you've come to this conference, and I know we all do, relationships are tough. And I just want to thank God today that we have John Regeer and that type of counseling, because I've been through the other type of counseling, and a lot of anger came forward. And basically what I dealt with was anger, and it just kept coming up. I kept getting angry. They want to take you back to the time of your dad and your mom, but they never take you any farther. These guys deal with the heart. And once that heart string is broken and you've released all that pain and hurt, the relationship you'll have with your spouse is unbelievable. So I just stand before you today as a testimony of what God's love can do, of how much he loves us. And at one time, I didn't understand that because I, I was... Uh, when I got into the drugs and alcohol and stuff, people would say, Jesus loves you. You just need to let him love you back. And I'd go back to a little eight-year-old boy, nine-year-old boy who was abused, and I'd say, how could a loving Jesus allow that to happen? But today I stand before you. If it hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here. And I wouldn't be able to help you with your heart. And um, testimonies are very important. So... Um, if John's messages have touched you in any way, I would just encourage you to open up your hearts. Allow other people to know your message and share with each other because somebody out there has got the same thing going on that I've had. And Jesus will just, just take it to the feet of Jesus, give it to him at the cross, and he'll love on you like you've never been loved before. I'd like to share some of the resources that are available back on the table. Um, this particular DVD series connects with 
caring for the emotionally damaged heart. Obviously, in the few nights we're here, we're not covering near all the topics that are in this Caring for the Emotionally Damaged Heart book. Um, this one has testimonies and interviews of testimonies like this. There's 21 testimonies of people who came to freedom from 21 different problems and 21 interviews with those individuals and a 30-minute presentation like you're hearing um, from me. Uh, that's all in this series. We also have a book called Counselor Guide, which basically has all the um, all the information that you need to know about each of the 21 different problems. Right here's the prayer for a person that has been damaged by an emotionally detached person. And here's all the information. I use this every week in my office. I have this laying beside me, so if someone comes in and says I've been neglected, right here's all the information I need. So if you're a counselor or you're interested in helping someone else, I would really encourage you to get this particular book. Uh, some of you may want to help some of your friends and neighbors, but you're scared because you don't know what to do. Um, doesn't take a lot of effort to uh, get a hold of this DVD series, plug it into your television, and the testimonies, by the way, aren't boring. Um, Donnie's testimony is not boring. It's kind of interesting listening to him when he says, I'm from another planet, and he calls me a dude, and uh, <laughs> wonders whether I'm on drugs. One of the other testimonies, he said that. Um, I was, I've never been on drugs, but he was on drugs. But um, anyway, um, he has interesting comments to make. Uh, but then all of a sudden, his whole marriage turns around. What he thought was stupid, all of a sudden becomes what he values. So this series is available. We also have a DVD series called Rekindling Marital Intimacy that connects with the spiritual problems. If you're wanting to work through pride, rebellion, bitterness, temporal values, those issues, moral failure, that's in this book and it's connected with the video series um, Rekindling Marital Intimacy. If you're interested in being trained in this method of counseling, we just put together last summer, we spent three weeks taping uh, an in-depth Caring for the Heart training series. It's 32 hours long. There's five actual cases where I spend an hour and a half uh, working through an individual's problems, and you actually can see that. Um, this is basically everything that we've developed up to this point, and there's an outline book that goes with it. If you're interested in learning this counseling model, we have training seminars in Colorado Springs that are five days long, Monday to Friday, seven hours a day. We have one in June, one in August, one in November. You're welcome to come. The one in June is for pastors and their wives, and the other ones are for anybody that would like to learn this counseling model. Uh, we also have an internship where you actually come and observe the counseling. Uh, next week I'll be in my office and um, I'll have interns in another room with three cameras. Um, and you can observe and hear everything that's happening in the counseling. It's confidential. You can't say anything about the case outside of the room. Um, but that's how we train people, and uh, that's available. You've seen all the charts that we've put together. Um, we put those in a counselor resource book of charts. It's 48 chapters long, and um, 
like for example chapter 5 are all the 10 bitterness charts and you see a number at the top number 5 1 is this chart it's 5 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 and um, here's on causes and this these two manuals um, this one has I think about 175 charts in it this one has 120 charts in it and uh, if you purchase these manuals or the red manuals you purchase the right to copy any of my charts that I have or will make uh, for use in counseling uh, there's a disk in the front and you plug this into your computer the red manual doesn't have a disk but this one does and you can plug this in and all these charts that are in this manual are numbered with um, an outline in the front so you can see which chart uh, and you can print it off on your printer to use in your counseling uh, you can't buy this and give this to your pastor or to another counselor they have to buy their own uh, I just had a, a person plagiarize two of my books this last week and so I have to write a letter asking them not to do that so you can't plagiarize but we want you to use the charts we don't want these charts just to be in my book and you never see them again so any of the charts we've put up like the pressure patterns uh, the emotional pain issues the sexual abuse that we're going to talk about all those charts are in these two manuals and obviously um, those of you that are just here and you're not interested in counseling you wouldn't be interested in this but if you're interested in helping other people these resources are available on the table I encourage you if you're interested in buying resources to do it tonight uh, tomorrow night after the break um, we have to pack up all the resources so tomorrow night after the evening service uh, the book table will not be available but it will be available tonight tomorrow before the session and during the break and then after that we'll break the table down so if you can remember that that would be helpful I'd like for you um, we don't have a chart for this session but we're going to talk about sexual abuse and uh, the effect that sexual abuse has in relationship Donnie the guy you just saw emotionally could not connect to his wife because of his sexual abuse and someone coming in the middle of the night and putting a hand over his mouth and locking him up and taking advantage of him Donnie emotionally shut all of his emotions off so when he got married he couldn't love sympathetic at one percent could not connect Donnie and his wife never received counseling from us but after the seminar they began talking his wife started caring about his pain he cared about her pain flipped him on a honeymoon because she started caring about all the bags of garbage he had you know the fact that he was abandoned by uh, his mother who passed away and pushed around to different homes and nobody wanted him he had an abandonment a neglect issue he wasn't loved his father was drinking which meant that his father was unsympathetic and self-focused on himself causing a whole series of pain then at nine he was taken advantage of through sexual abuse and everything shut down at that point okay now 40 percent of people excuse me 40 percent of girls 20 percent of guys in our culture are sexually abused and the sad thing is that often people hold that pain inside because they don't know who to tell 
that pain. A number of years ago, my wife and I were in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and we were sharing a message on Sunday morning. After the message, I went to the book table to visit with my wife, and my son happened, was single, happened to come to hear me preach. And uh, he says, uh, Dad, uh, I'd like to introduce Stephanie to you. She's a friend uh, up by Shadron, Nebraska. And I said, hi, Stephanie, and we talked. And all of a sudden, Stephanie wasn't there. We went out to eat later. And Daryl said to me, my son, he says, uh, Dad, uh, we got a problem. While you were talking with Stephanie, a young man came up whose brother had sexually abused Stephanie when she was six and she freaked and ran to the bathroom and threw up. Now Stephanie was 20 years of age at the time. She wasn't a young girl. She was in college and she was a friend of Daryl. They weren't dating because she was dominant and angry because of her sexual abuse. And my son wasn't interested in that dominance and anger. And I said to Daryl, uh, we're coming back into the area next Saturday. Ask Stephanie if she'd be willing to talk to me. Well, Stephanie wanted to date my son. Daryl was not interested in her because of his, her dominance and anger. And she didn't want me knowing that she'd been sexually abused or I would say, no, you can't marry my son. But finally she gave in and I spent Saturday morning talking with Stephanie and sharing that your dominance and anger on the test comes because you're sexually abused. 90% of girls that are sexually abused are fun-loving before they get sexually abused, but 90% will become 90 plus percent angry, 90 plus percent dominant to try and protect themselves from being hurt again, and 95% will get divorced. I said to Stephanie, if you're willing just to follow me, I'll share how we're going to pray to resolve this issue. If you follow me, you're going to lose your dominance and your anger, which means you're going to be a totally different person. She didn't believe me, obviously. So <clears throat> she shared her story when she was six years of age. Her parents were starting a church in their home in a small community in Nebraska. And while they were having church, a guy took advantage of her, a boy took advantage of her in the back bedroom. She came out to her mother and says, uh, Mommy, this happened to me in the bedroom. And her mom said, Shut up. It didn't happen. I never believed her. She got double pain because no one would listen to the pain she was experiencing. And I was the first person at age 20, 14 years later, that believed that something happened. And I said to Stephanie, I would like to lead you in a prayer to disconnect your pain. So I led her in a prayer when something like this, Jesus, when I was six, my parents had services to start a church in our home. And this guy took me into the bedroom and sexually abused me. Jesus, what did that do to my heart? She started crying. Jesus showed her a picture of her heart. Jesus, can you make my heart clean from that? And Jesus prompted that he could do that. Gave her a picture of cleansing her heart. Jesus, could you heal my heart from that? I just want to be free from the pain. Jesus, what do you want me to do the, with the pain? Jesus, I became bitter toward my mother because she wouldn't believe what happened. 
you want me to forgive my mother? And I just walked through each step through her pain. It took me about three hours through the whole process. After we were finished, um, we left. Within two weeks, Stephanie was dating our son because she had lost her anger and dominance. Now our son is married. They have eight children, uh, live in Shadron, Nebraska. They just had their eighth child. Our son delivered the last five by himself in their home. And uh, so he just delivered a granddaughter. My wife can't wait till the summer gets over because she can't wait to get up to Shadron. My wife just had a hip replace or a knee replacement um, just a week before the baby was born. So we haven't been up there. We went to Florida for conference and here. So my wife is pressuring me to get back to see the baby so she can hold the baby. But we're getting pictures every day um, on our phone. But I want to say this. If you met Stephanie today, she has eight children. I've never seen Stephanie angry. And I've never seen her controlling her children. She lost her pain. And she lost her dominance and anger. Now, not every girl is dominance and angry that's been sexually abused, but 90% of them will have that score if they've been sexually abused because of the pain. Now, I share that story because I want you to understand that sexual abuse can be healed. If you go to your Christian bookstore and you buy a book on sexual abuse, the majority of them, in fact, all of them, will say, if you're sexually abused, you have to get counseling and you will never be free from the pain that you're experiencing. You'll always carry that pain. And the top Christian authors that are counseling sexual abuse cases are saying, you can never be free. I just want to scream. Because I help probably 40 to 60 girls and guys like Donnie who have been damaged to come to freedom every year. And they lose 80% of their pain. That's average. Some people lose 50, some people lose 100% of their pain when I lead them in a prayer. The problem is counselors do not use prayer and counseling. They do not use the method I'm talking about, taking a person in prayer to Jesus to let Jesus heal their heart through prayer. And as a result, by the way, this is the only method that takes pain out of the heart. Because 90 to 95% of Christian counselors and professional counselors in the U.S. believe that you never tell a person their problem and no problem can be resolved. You can just make people feel better because you talk about their problem. The problem, if you talk about sexual abuse that you've experienced for one hour every week, within three weeks it turns to concrete because you're just talking about your pain. And it actually makes it worse because if you take a girl who's been abused and she talks about her pain and you don't solve it, she talks about her pain, you don't solve it, she talks about her pain, pretty soon it's like cement in her heart and you can't get it out. If someone comes into my office and says, John, I've been sexually abused, I've been emotionally damaged when I was 14 by my cousin who took advantage of me with his friend, within the day or within the week, I'm going to walk that person to resolve that pain and I'm going to lead them to Jesus. I just need, I don't ask them personal information about the sexual abuse. 
but they say, I was fondled by my cousin who did this. I lead him in a prayer to disconnect that. And they lose 80% of their pain. Now, if you need to go to a counselor for sexual abuse, ask the counselor, do you use prayer in counseling? A pastor left the pastor ministry to start counseling, and now he works for Focus on the Family. I was sitting across the table from him, and he says, John, the shocking thing that I experienced when I started counseling is that very few counselors ever pray with their clients who are Christians. They're never taught to do that. Well, if you don't pray, and if Jesus doesn't prompt healing, your client doesn't get free. The counselor makes money. Now, at Caring for the Heart, we don't charge for counseling. I've counseled 1,400 cases for free in the last 19 years. I haven't charged a dime. And I like it that way because I don't want to say to this person, if you give me a hundred bucks, I'll help you with your sexual abuse. I remember an Assembly of God pastor in Denver. A lady came up to him and says, uh, my mother's dying, would you go to the hospital and share the gospel with her? And the pastor said, if you give me a hundred dollars, I'll go talk with her. That's why I've never charged for counseling. Because I don't want to pray with people and charge them for praying for them. Praying with them, I want them to be able to get counseling free of charge. I want to help them come to freedom from their issues. That's my burden. Now I'd like to challenge you tonight. 40% of all the women sitting here have been sexually abused. 20% of the men have been sexually abused sitting in this audience. Now we don't think about that because nobody talks about it. You can't raise your hand in Sunday school and say, I've been sexually abused. Anybody going to help me in here? We, don't, we can't do that. The problem is everybody just closes this to themselves like Donnie did for 38 years. And you don't tell anybody. The problem is the effects of that, the women who are dominant and angry, the men who emotionally close their heart off, the men whose wives can't even touch their face because that's how they were damaged in the sexual abuse, they don't realize that all of that is connected. Now, how are people sexually abused? Or excuse me, let's define sexual abuse. Sexual abuse is a person is taken advantage of by another person through lust, inappropriate touching, fondling, or sexual activity. There are eight ways people are sexually abused, and I'm just going to define them. There may be other ways. These are the ways that I have found. When a person is lusting, like men lusting that are in pornography after other women, that violates women. If 70% of men, which that's statistics, are connected to pornography, those men are lusting. We said the other day, yesterday, that the average man who's into pornography, watches pornography 104 hours a year. That's a lot of time. So their whole focus is on lust. Their whole focus is on uh, nudity. Okay? And they've spent hours focusing on that. The problem is those same men come to church and they lust after other women and they're focused on other women's sexuality that causes a woman to be violated. Now before the seminar, women don't know that. They just would say, I just don't feel 
comfortable with this guy in church or I don't feel comfortable with the person in the community. After my seminar, all of a sudden they wake up and say, now I know I'm uncomfortable, that person is lusting. So if a person is lusting or a person is in pornography, they're going to violate uh, the women around them. That's sexual abuse. The second is touching inappropriately. Um, touching another person in the sexual area is sexual abuse. The third is sexual relationships or rape. Now we all know that rape is, is sexual abuse. But let me broaden it a little bit. A girl longs for love. She comes from a home where her daddy doesn't love her. Her mother's not connected to her. When a person <clears throat> comes from a home where there's no love, they long for attention. Those girls often have to have a boyfriend. They have to have some guy to pay attention to them. In our culture, girls understand if you want attention, what you have to do is you have to dress inappropriately and you have to give guys what they want, then they'll give you attention. The only problem is girls are sexually abused by guys wanting to lust after them, but guys aren't valuing their girlfriends. They just are using the girls and taking advantage of the girls. And what happens is the girls emotionally are damaged by that. A few years ago, a girl came into my office and she wasn't loved by her dad, wasn't loved by her mother. And when she was in junior high and after, she had sex with 25 guys. I said, can you tell me, did one of those 25 guys care about your heart? She, know, she says, no, everyone used me. 85% of girls that give in sexually uh, premarital sex, don't want sex, but they're only giving in so they don't lose their guy because they long for love and the only way they're going to get love is if they, if they give sex. That's a sad commentary. Another aspect is when you have a dominant man dating a submissive girl, let's say the girl's 10% dominant and the guy is 80% dominant, the 10% girl cannot say no to sex. So you have a dominant guy, by the way, a dominant guy will never ask a dominant girl to have sex because he's not going to take a no for an answer. A dominant guy will always pick a submissive girl that can't say no. So if you have a submissive girl, often in my office, I have a test that shows a girl submissive and I said, did you want to give sex or did you just do it because you couldn't say no? And she says, I wanted to say no, but I couldn't talk. Sexual abuse. The fourth way sexual abuse occurs is when an adult shows a child pornography. It's interesting, whatever the first exposure to pornography, that's what a person will focus on. So if a father shows a son pornography, whatever's in that picture is what that son is going to be focused on the rest of his life in lust until someone helps him get free. But showing someone pornography or leaving pornography laying around the house um, actually trips a child into a moral addiction and that's sexual abuse. Number five, parents exposing themselves to their children is, is sexual abuse. Um, I had a pastor's wife who would walk from the bedroom to the bathroom with no clothes on. 
And this high school son said to the father, would you tell mom not to do that? It bothers me when mom walks between rooms like that. And the mother says, I'm going to do what I want. You're not going to change me. The only problem is the pastor's son got married. And every time he looked at his wife, he was repulsed by her. And he never valued her and he couldn't respond sexually because of the sexual abuse of his mother exposing herself. Let me just say this, be very cautious as parents because when brothers and sisters expose themselves, you expose yourself through showering with your children. That emotionally damages a child because if a son gets repulsed looking at his mother or a daughter gets repulsed looking at daddy, um, what happens is that repulsed attitude carries all the way into their marriage later on. And I've had girls that were repulsed by their husband all because somebody sexually abused them by exposing themselves. The Old Testament says parents are not to expose themselves to their children and be careful that siblings don't expose themselves to each other. We call it playing doctor and we just kind of wash the thing under the carpet and hope it goes away. I have to deal with it 40 years later and um, it damages people. Number six, another person exposing themselves. Uh, for example, cousins exposing themselves uh, to cousins or brothers and sisters exposing is another method of sexual abuse. Number seven, practicing homosexual acts of sexuality before or during marriage is sexual abuse. There's an epidemic today, 55% of young people in the United States have participated from 13 to 19, have participated in oral sex. Uh, oral sex is taking the place of what you and I did called kissing 40 years ago. Oral sex is what two men do together when they have sex. And oral sex is a violation based on Romans 1 of the sexual relationship. And it violates a woman. Uh, using uh, a wife's mouth in sexual activity is inappropriate, but it's a fad today. And I'm going to say this, that it's violated more women than you can imagine. I sit in my office and I ask husbands and wives to stop doing oral sex and the wives start crying saying, you're the first person that I've ever heard that's against oral sex. I'm against oral sex because I sit in my office with wives who are struggling because of the emotional damage. Their husband watches pornography. They watch oral sex in the movies on pornography. They come home and say, let's do this. And the wife being submissive, wanting to please her husband, agrees to it, only to feel she feels violated. Then all of a sudden she's in the other bedroom, locks the door and says, don't touch me. All of a sudden, the whole marriage is going down, all because the father, the husband, looked at pornography, saw oral sex, locked up, or, or pressured his wife, and locked her up emotionally. Um, by the way, everybody sitting in this room knows how sex is to function. You don't even need a book. The problem is, if you're into lust or pornography, you have to have something kinkier every time to be aroused. Tomorrow night we're going to talk about emotional connection. 
You heard Donnie say, you know, we're on our honeymoon. And he says, we're connected. When two people connect emotionally and are caring about each other within a marriage relationship, you never have to have a kinkier way to have sex or a different way to have sex. What happens is sex is always fulfilling because two hearts are open with each other. That's God's design for marriage. What happens when the husband's in pornography or he introduces his wife to pornography and they watch pornography together is they're, they're violating each other and bringing other people's physical relationships into the marriage and that emotionally damages a person. There's two sexual practices that I believe should not be practiced within um, the Christian home and that is oral sex or anal sex. Those two things should not be practiced uh, within the home. I have people arguing with me and I always have someone in a seminar like this that gets mad at me. Usually it's conservative pastors that get mad at me. And um, just recently I had a GRBC Baptist Church in California cancel a seminar because I was against alcohol and I was against oral sex, those two things, and they canceled the seminar because of those two things. Because the leadership of the church was involved in oral sex and they didn't want anybody telling their wives it's wrong. Now, I'm the only one. I mean, if you get books on sex in, the, in your bookstore, they'll say anything goes as long as you both agree. The only problem is a lot of wives don't agree with oral sex, but they're giving it to their husbands because they don't want to say no and a person never figures oral sex out unless they've looked at pornography. I was 55 years of age before I knew what oral sex was. Um, my wife and I were celebrating our anniversary and I walked into our room that I had rented in a motel, turned the TV on, the first picture that came up was oral sex. And it was a room where they planted the TV to have a sexual picture on as soon as you turn the TV on. I turned it off and I looked at my wife and I said, what is that? I thought oral sex was something else. I didn't know. Um, you have to understand I've never seen a Playboy magazine. I've gone into stores where they have calendars up. So I've seen that kind of pornography, but I'd never seen oral sex because I'd never seen a video. I'm pretty naive even though I hear of people's sexual problems all the time in my office. So the seventh way sex, sexual abuse occurs is when a husband looks at pornography and brings things into the home that God never designed for the home. The eighth is when a person reads books on pornography or books that uh, focus pornographically that can sexually abuse a person as well. Now here's the eight. You can add more things to that if you'd like. These are the things that I've found that um, are sexual abuse. How is a person damaged by sexual abuse? When a person is sexually abused, their thoughts change about themselves. I'm not an electrician, but every so often I like to build something out of wood and I'll need a motor. A few years ago, I needed two motors. I was going to give each of my sons a gift for Christmas. So I bought two motors. The problem when you buy a motor is there's no cord on the motor. And if you open the motor, there's five bolts in there. 
And when you buy a cord, there's three. And because I'm not an electrician, I guessed, and I put them on those three, and I blew the breaker, must have got two hots together, and smoke came out of the motor. And I didn't like that. So one time I did it this way, and the motor went backwards. And I got them wrong. So I said to the guy, I'll pay you what you want for your motors if you'll take those two screws off, show me which wires go on what prongs in there. He showed me, and the motor went forward. When a girl is sexually abused, or a guy is sexually abused, the motor goes backwards. What they should enjoy, they hate. So I have women coming to me and say, I hate sex. All men want is sex. Sex is so stupid, why did God create sex? It's so dirty, I hate it. Everything is backwards. Donnie emotionally shut his heart to his wife. Why? Because he'd been sexually violated. Everything went backwards. So I tell people when they come into my office and they've been sexually abused, do you mind if I take the cord off your motor and we clean everything up and we put it back the way the Creator designed it? You know, someone designed the motor. It's supposed to run a certain way. If you plug it in wrong, it doesn't work. The same way with sexual abuse. If a person is sexually abused, everything is reversed and everything gets messed up. That's why people have marriage problems if they've been sexually abused. Secondly, their thoughts about sexuality become warped. Thirdly, they become emotionally charged with anger and rage. Women hate men. I have women that are homosexual or, um, because men have taken advantage of them and they don't trust men, so they get connected with women because women care, men don't care, men are just sexaholics. Many become dominant to protect themselves from further abuse. That was my daughter-in-law because of her damage. A person who's sexually abused will either hate sex or become promiscuous. 95% of prostitutes have been sexually abused. And the majority of the people that are in our state prisons have been sexually abused. What's happening is they're acting out the pain that they've experienced. And it's not their fault, someone damaged them. Here are words to describe the pain caused by a person who's been sexually abused. I took the time and I just let ladies write down all the words that they felt who were sexually abused. And I put them on a piece of paper, got their permission. Afraid, angry, anxious, bad, belittled, confused, can't trust anyone, deceived, defenseless, destroyed, dominated, dirty, devalued, disrespected, disgusting, embarrassed, exposed, forced, gross, guilty hate myself, helpless, manipulated, molested, no way out, overwhelmed, pressure, repulsed, ruined, sad, scared, shamed, suffocated, trapped, trashed, used, unable to speak, unsafe, violated, vulnerable. How do you lead a person to resolve their sexual abuse? Jesus, my uncle, lusted, touched, and pressured me in inappropriate ways, causing me to feel violated, dirty, and repulsed. Jesus, what did that do to my heart? Now we wait and let Jesus prompt a picture of their heart at that point. How did that change my thoughts about sexuality? My thoughts about sex changed because of that? 
What are my thoughts about myself? I'm a worthless person. No one will ever want me. How did that affect how I respond in my marriage? Jesus, could you make a safe place where I can go to feel safe? Can you heal my pain? Can you make my heart clean? Do you want me to forgive my uncle? What do you want me to do with the pain? Can you bring peace to my heart? And here's words to resolve the pain of sexual abuse. Can I understand the pain you carried as a result of your abuse? Can I, as your husband, make you feel secure that I will never lust or pressure you like your husband did? And here's affirmation words. In resolving sexual abuse, I have a person take all these pain words that I just read and I have them check off the ones that they felt. Then what I do is I lead them in a prayer and I have them list each person that sexually abused them, how they were sexually abused, and the emotional pain they felt. Now the reason on this chart, I put on the left-hand column, words fondled, incest, sexual abuse, is I don't want to violate a person in my office. If they say I was fondled or touched inappropriately by my uncle, I'm just going to use the word fondled by my uncle, and they're going to put four to six words of emotional pain in the last column. So the prayer will go something like this. Jesus, my uncle, touched me inappropriately. I don't ask where they were touched. I don't want to in any way violate that person. But I was touched inappropriately by my uncle, causing me to feel violated, dirty, used, humiliated. Jesus, how would you bring peace to my heart? Now, when you're dealing with sexual abuse, you need to deal with the bitterness to the perpetrator, their participation, because sometimes they get involved and they actually enjoy what's being done to them. Um, they have to forgive themselves sometimes, and sometimes they blame God for allowing it to happen. And We have to resolve each of those four issues inside their heart. Now, I'd like to just challenge you if you've been sexually abused, you don't have to carry that pain. And I encourage you, if you haven't found help, we have 20 offices all over the country. We want to help you with it. Please don't keep it to yourself. And if you've been damaged emotionally and your thoughts about yourself change and it locks up your relationship or you don't want to get married as a result of it, God wants to heal that and there's hope. The church here has staff that would be willing to help you. We have counselors that would be willing to help you. But remember, when you go to a counselor, make sure the counselor leads you to Jesus in prayer with this method. Now in the premarital book, which is this one, I have a whole page prayer that I use today, which is more detailed, uh, in helping people come to freedom from their sexual abuse. and. Um, it's really uh, helped individuals release more of the pain that they've experienced inside. Thank you so much for allowing me to share this. I know this is a difficult topic, but I would encourage you to care about others who are struggling. And if you've been damaged, please don't hold it in. Allow someone to help you work through that. And you might, after this evening, be able just to pray by yourself, Jesus, I was sexually abused. Why? Draw me a picture of my heart damaged. Could you make my heart clean from that?
and let the Spirit of God prompt a picture of clean. Could you heal my heart from that? I want to be the person that I was before the abuse so that I don't have to deal with the consequences of what I've experienced. Thank you, Pastor. As Rick uh, comes up and before he plays his song, we do just want to uh, bow our heads and close our eyes. And uh, just as uh, John was speaking about, we do want to give the Holy Spirit uh, an opportunity to work on our hearts. And um, uh, this is an opportunity just for you um, with where you're at, um, just to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Um, we don't know where everybody's at. We don't know what's in their heart. We don't know what they've experienced um, with those things that we've talked about. And so right now we're just going to come quietly before him and give you an opportunity to, first of all, hear his voice, but then also uh, to reach out to him. One of the things that is so great about the Lord is that when he leads us and we know that there's something that we need to ask or that we need to pray and we might feel afraid, we might be scared. The Father himself has told us that through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can strengthen us to, to even pray those prayers and to come before Jesus. One of the things is we're still just meditating and praying that is so awesome with everything that John has said is every testimony, every story, every thing that we have heard, when people get to the point when they can really pray and ask Jesus to disconnect their pain or heal their heart, to forgive somebody, to receive forgiveness, to work in their life, every single time, Jesus has. That is the good news. Jesus heals. Jesus renews. Jesus restores. This is the promise that we have from God. We see in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love. Time and time it says that in that chapter, God is love. And that's the promise that God gives us regardless of what has happened in our lives. He wants to heal us through his love, and he will. All we have to do is ask. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this evening. We ask that your spirit would just continue to walk with us. We just pray these things in your name. Amen. We want to sing Holy Jesus, and some of you may not know the verses and but when we get to the chorus uh, you can all sing along because we thought the words to Holy Jesus uh, just were just so fitting for what we've been talking about. Oh, sometimes my life just 
last opportunity that we're going to get to hear from John, and so please invite a friend and come back tomorrow night. Now in the name of the Father and the Son, may we be overwhelmed by his love, by his power, by his death and his resurrection on the cross. Go in peace. Amen.